I'm Karim Khan, part of the BJSM editorial team, and I have the great privilege of bringing your clinical questions to top top guests like World Shoulder Authority, Dr. Ben Kibler. This is the first of two podcasts. This one on tennis, the next will be on baseball. And I launched by asking Dr. Kibler how, as a surgeon, he's gained such insight into analyzing biomechanics in the office which he uses to such a great effect clinically and in his teaching. This is what he had to say. Well, it starts back, actually, when I was in medical school, I was very, I had a very good uh, professor who was brought up in the polio days, and he understood how the, the, the compensations that the polio patients had could be seen by how they moved and, and how, they, how they accomplished the task. So we got very interested in that back when I was in medical school. And so that led me to kind of looking at how the body worked and, and some of the mechanics. But actually in terms of the scapula, start out with a patient 30 years ago now who had impingement. Uh, and she was a swimmer, she, you know, a 16 year old girl swimmer. And she had this problem and we tried everything to do, exercises, injections, whatever. And we couldn't make her better. And one, one day she was coming into our office for therapy and she was coming from her swimming lesson or swimming uh, competition, and she had the swimsuit on, and, and I realized that the scapula was tilted uh, on the body. That's the first time I'd ever seen it. And so I went up to her, and I put the scapula and pushed it back up under the little edge of the swimsuit, and all of a sudden her shoulder worked well. So that's when I got interested in the fact that the scapula could create problems, scapular position and motion could create problems uh, with shoulder use. And so that's how we started. We started looking at this a little bit more carefully, started looking at how we could evaluate it, what it meant to evaluate it, what it, what it meant in terms of the symptoms, and that's how we got started. And you're a real legend in the world of tennis, swimming, and, and baseball. Maybe we'll focus on tennis because of your tremendous experience there. When clinicians see a tennis player in the office, what are the key things they should ask for in the history? Well, it's very interesting that the tennis is a whole body motion for any of the strokes, the running, obviously, the hitting of the strokes. And so you have to be aware that the whole body contributes to the success of the stroke or, or the failure of the stroke or injury. And so the, the first thing you have to do is not look at the site of symptoms. We call that a lot of times the victim uh, because there's a whole lot of culprits that can play into developing the victim. And most commonly in overload injuries in tennis players, it's going to be either the back or the, or the uh, groin area or the obliques or the shoulder and elbow. And so you need to say, okay, well, that's where the injury is, but let's look and see what caused that. So we have to look at, the, um, at, at their strength of, the, of their legs, uh, the flexibility of the hip and trunk. You have to look at the scapular position. You have to look at flexibility of the shoulder. Now, for example, uh, if the pay, if you have a, a tennis player who has this lateral epicondylitis, uh, the main culprits in this situation are actually weak posterior deltoid or posterior external rotation muscles around the shoulder and weak hips, so they're not rotating. In the serve motion, uh, a lot of times you'll see the patients with the shoulder injuries in the serve motion. It's because they have weak hips and they're uh, they have tightness of internal rotation. So there's a lot of these things that are looking around. So you have to do a comprehensive evaluation. 
if you have the capability and if you have the, the interest, you can actually do a uh, analysis of the serve based on the biomechanics. Uh, we've just published uh, the, a couple of articles on this where we look at the positions of the feet, position of the knee, position of the hip rotation, look at, at how the trunk rotates. Uh, these all give us a clue as to whether the serve is going to be any, any good or not. And Ben, in the office, um, how do you assess weakness of the posterior elements of the shoulder for a start? Okay, for example, it's, it's pretty easy. You do a, you do a re- relatively quick screening. First thing you do is do a core stability screening. You do what's called a one-leg stability series. You have them stand on one leg. Don't give them any cues. Just see how well they accomplish that task of standing on one leg, both the dominant and the non-dominant leg. Sometimes you'll see a Trendelenburg where they'll tilt their hips. Sometimes they can't even stand straight. Then you ask them to do a half squat. So they bend down 45 degrees uh, with knee flexion and then come back up. And you watch and see if they control this well or if they tilt or rotate. Or they'll self-select a 30-degree flexion rather than 45 degrees because at 30 degrees you're not using your hips much. So you can get by with it. But make them go 45 and you watch and see a lot of times – they will, they will not have good hip abduction strength. Uh, that um, 45 degree, that loss of control of 45 degrees does correlate with demonstrated gluteus medius weakness. What that means is that they're not able to generate force or support themselves when they're trying to hit the ball. So that's the first thing you do. Second is you look at the scapular position and you can you have to take, you have to see them from behind. You have to see whether the scapula are symmetrical. See if one is tilted a little bit more, a little bit more protracted. And then what happens is they raise their arms and lower their arms. You'll see a lot of times that they'll actually will they'll have this uh, dyskinesis or this altered pattern of motion, which tells you that the muscles are that the scapula is not stable to allow the muscles to work well. But also if the the glenoid is actually tilting, so it's putting a a pressure on the glenohumeral joint. So that's the next thing you look for. You can actually do what's called a scapular assist test or a scapular retraction test where you actually manually stabilize the scapula as it moves or stabilize the position of the scapula, and you'll have change in symptoms. Uh, you will have change in the ability to go overhead, or you'll have the ability, a change in the ability to actually develop strength. Uh, that will tell you that the scapula is important. Third thing you do is you look at rotation of the glenohumeral joint. You look for internal rotation and external rotation off a of stabilized scapula, and you can find a lot of times there'll be an asymmetrical tightness on the dominant side. These are all biomechanical clues that the capability of, of hitting the serve or hitting the ground strokes is not the best, and therefore there's an increased risk of injury uh, and certainly decreased performance as well. So a relatively quick screening can really be helpful. Asymmetry is part of the deal in elite sports, though. So how can a clinician tell if the asymmetry in a right-dominant tennis player is within normal limits or not? Yeah, so that's exactly right. Now, some of this asymmetry will be right-left. Some of it will be front-back. But then what you do is you see how that affects the capabilities. Uh, for example, uh, in the uh, you should not have asymmetry. We know for a fact you're not supposed to have asymmetry of your hip strength. So if you see asymmetry there, then you know that that's a deviation from normal and needs to be addressed. In the scapula, you see, indeed, if there is this asymmetry or this scapular protraction on both sides, but a little bit more on the affected side, you use the scapular corrective maneuvers, the scapular assist test, the scapular retraction test, and you see how it changes the function, changes the symptoms. If they have pain overhead and you do the scapular assist test and they don't have pain anymore, 
then that shows you that uh, that scapula is involved in the production of these symptoms. If they, if you test their strength, whether you do an empty can or a full can, and they have weakness on that side, you stabilize the scapula, they're able to have more strength. And once again, that has, has a, a demonstrated change in their functional capabilities, and therefore it means that it needs to be addressed as part of the therapy. We know for a fact that this tightness of internal rotation and external rotation is not a normal adaptation uh, uh, this total arc of motion is not a not a good thing to have. You need to have symmetrical total arc of motion. We also know that if you have more than 20 degrees of internal rotation asymmetry, that that's not a normal variation. So you need to address those. You remind me, I was going to ask how you measure the hip uh, strength in the office. Well, as a screen, I just do that uh, one leg uh, stability series. Then we will actually do the, the, the manual muscle testing. We use handheld dynamometers to test them in abduction, hip abduction strength. It does seem like the handheld dynamometer is an essential part of the physiotherapist's office armamentarium these days. Yes, and actually we have in the clinician's office, I actually do some measurements myself, but certainly if we... If we document the, on the screen that it's bad, then as a part of our exercise prescription uh, to the physiotherapist, we say, you know, measure this accurately and then, then sequentially measure it as they uh, improve in therapy. Before we leave tennis, what change have you seen with the double-handed backhand and what things should clinicians uh, take into account with what is standard these days? Now, two-handed backhand obviously takes some of the stress off the lateral elbow of the lead or the dominant arm so you have much less uh, capability of having an injury there however um, that sets up a whole other set of problems uh, in the non-dominant wrist because uh, what will happen is if you do not turn well and you're using two hands uh, to cock back into the right position to then hit your stroke uh, you will uh, tend to hyper extend and ulnar deviate the wrist. And so most common injuries in tennis players are the ulnar-sided wrist problems. And they uh, usually the eccentric carpi ulnaris or the TFCC. Now, when you palpate this, you find make sure that there's no instability of the uh, of the ECU tendon. If it's painful to palpation along the TFCC, then and then if you put the wrist into a, a dorsiflexed and supinated position and that reproduces the pain, then that tells you that you're getting this impingement or this abutment. Now, then you ask the player to, sh if you, we keep a tennis racket in our office. We say, okay, grab the racket, show us your grip. And if they have the big, what's called Western, where their hand is way around on the under surface of the, of the racket grip, then that automatically puts a lot more pressure on the owner side as they try to hit the ball. Similarly, if they, if you have them grip the racket on their backhand and show the motion, if they drop the racket far down uh, before they hit, then that tells you once again that that's a problem. Then you obviously look at trunk rotation and hip rotation. You actually manually can, you can measure that, and that'll give you some good clues as to the kinetic chain involvement with the wrist injuries. Fantastic, Ben. That's a great explanation, and it highlights why sports-specific physios can do a great job, and then they can teach regular physios some of these sports-specific pearls. Yes, but the other thing is, I would tell you, is that it starts with the doctor. The doctor has to be able to do this as well. The doctor needs to know this well enough so that he can tell the physios, because uh, if the doctor says, oh, he's got wrist pain, send with the physios to figure out what it is. 
then the doctor is abdicating the primary responsibility in my mind. And first of all, understanding the problem themselves, but also then giving the therapist a little bit of better direction. Because if you say, well, it's a wrist pain, I better inject it, then you're not doing the patient the service. If you say wrist pain goes in with the physio, the physio may not know it either. You know, there's, there's some responsibility of the doctor to know some of this as well. Absolutely, and it's good to have that discussion in the BJSM community is multidisciplinary, as you know. And uh, also, I think the doctor explaining to the patient what the physio is going to do um, can be really can help with compliance because if it's explained to the patient, you need to see the physio and they're going to help you with these technique changes. It's much more compelling, I find, than if the doctor just says, go to physio, full stop. Exactly right, and for and all these scapular issues if they 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 hurt when they go into forward flexion and you can then take their scapula and put it in the scapular cyst test and they don't hurt anymore then they realize first of all you know what's going on that can change some of these symptoms second of all if there's an exercise program to do the same thing in terms of putting a scapula in position then they are going to be more adherent to that uh, uh, to that program Ben, you reminded me about the scapular assistance tests and the scapular retraction test, the two tests I think you invented, if I'm not mistaken. Do you want to just share each with the listener in a short snippet, please? Sure. The scapular assist test is you actually uh, place your hands on the scapula with your uh, one hand at the very inferior medial tip, the other around the upper trapezius, and then as the uh, as the patient elevates their arm, you actually just kind of guide and kind of slide, assist the scapula into a uh, retraction elevation position. What that does obviously is raises the acromion and gets out of the way of the moving arm and you'll have a change in symptoms. They'll have better range of motion in terms of the amount of number of degrees they move and also they will have less pain. The scapular retraction test is where you manually stabilize the scapula in a position of retraction by placing your forearm right along the medial border of the scapula. Uh, the positive test there is that you will have, first of all, measured the uh, uh, the strength in, in of, of arm abduction or external rotation, and then the you improve the demonstrated strength. Uh, by, by manually stabilizing the scapula. Now, usually in our in the literature, it's 11% better in non-symptomatic athletes and as high as 24% better in symptomatic athletes. Thanks so much, Ben. So there you have it. Great tennis tips from a true world authority and the keynote speaker at the American Medical Society for Sports Medicine annual meeting, which will be in San Diego in May of 2017. Google the American Medical Society for Sports Medicine, AMSSM, for details of the conference, or follow your favorite BJSM channel for regular updates on all the good quality, trusted conference. Thanks for choosing this podcast, and I do hope you get a chance to have a physically active day.